0: Far worse things, waiting man, than that. You will be scared shitless. All right, here we go. I am recording for the first time with my own channel. Today, I would like to talk about. The movie The Fly, 1986, starring Jeff Goldblum and Gina Davis and directed by David Cronenberg. I have not prepared for this episode, so it's going to be just on the fly, seeing how well I can handle movie information without any prep at all. Now, I have thought about doing this movie for a while, but I haven't officially formally prepped for this episode, so this should be interesting. It's also my first episode by myself. Previously, I had done an episode with Steve, my pastor. I'd done a couple of episodes with Slinky Jallo, my friend, Greg, Aaron Don Gilmer. And then for our first official guest, we had Kelly Aubrey Brown, who came on to speak about her son, Maddie, and his artwork that he sells for charity. And I'm very pleased that she was our first guest. We wish her the best in all her endeavors and Maddie, of course today we are going to talk about the fly. And I first saw the fly in Naples, Italy in 1986. We had only been there since December. So actually it could have been 87. It could have been early 87, but I'm almost positive. We went in late December together as a family. So it was my father, mother, me, the oldest of four. My kid brother, Pat, my kid brother, Eric, and my kid sister, Serena. And we all went to see Labyrinth, which was fantastic. I absolutely loved it. It's a timeless cult classic. It's really achieved some awesome cult status. So good for Jim Henson and David Bowie, who have both passed on for creating something unique and special and magical. However, I was a horror geek, still am, and I begged, begged my parents to please let us watch The Fly, because I had talked to our next door neighbor, Yizzy, about the movie, and she said it was amazing, and she had described it to me. She had also seen Aliens, but Aliens was not on the marquee that day, I guess, so... I said, please, let's watch The Fly. And I begged and begged. And my mom said, fine, we'll stick around. But Mike, as soon as it gets too gross, we're going to leave. So we didn't have to pay extra to stay for the movie. It was a military complex, military theater. So we got in for free. So we finished watching Labyrinth, started watching The Fly. I loved every single second of it, from the opening score by Howard Shore to the credits, you know, with the little fly buzzing around to... Bartok Industries to Jeff Goldblum's bachelor pad in the city, the telepods, of course, him and Gina Davis flirting, him playing the piano and just acting like Mr. Cool, you know, her falling instantly in lust with him and love, you know, who knows how love works when it comes to love at first sight, but it seemed like they had a real connection. So, I thought it was the best thing I'd ever seen. And then it got to the part where the monkey goes in the telepod. And I could tell that my dad was really enjoying the movie. Just his demeanor was positive was positive and pleasant. And I thought that my mom was enjoying it too. But then we got to the part with the baboon going inside of the telepod and getting basically turned inside out. The teleportation does not go well for the poor baboon. Long story short, an animal got turned inside out, splatted, and that was it. Mom said, okay, we're out of here. I said, please, please, it's probably the only gross part of the movie. No, she wouldn't let me stay. So we had to go home. So I did not get to see the movie again until it got released on VHS, not much later than that. And I did watch it at home. I also watched Faces of Death for the first time. My dad let me watch it. I was only 12. Yeah, in 86, I would have been 11. So in 87, I was 12. So at 12 years old, my dad let me rent whatever horror movies I wanted from the video store. I thank him for that from the bottom of my heart, or I would not have become the horror fan that I am today. It's done wonders for my life. It's been so therapeutic for me for my career. So yeah, dad, thank you so much. My my stepdad, who I call dad, because he did raise me. Thank you so much for letting me watch scary movies and knowing that I could handle them mentally. You know, you don't want to show the fly to maybe, you know, a five-year-old who's never seen gore. You definitely don't want to show it to somebody who's got like PTSD that has to do with animals getting turned inside out. Like you got to be careful what you show people, especially if you're in charge of their safety. So, you know, Dad was pretty good about being able to tell what I could and couldn't handle. So thank you again, Dad, for letting me watch pretty much whatever I wanted. So I finally got to watch The Fly, and I just was blown away. I identified with Seth Brundle on so many levels. The basic plot of it is that a super nerd isolates himself and is working on teleportation technology for a company called Bartok Industries. They're paying for his research. Uh, because he's a genius, basically. He's doing the research in his apartment in the middle of the city. He goes to um, a party that Bartok is throwing and meets Gina Davis, who is an investigative reporter. She is an investigative reporter, not for Bartok, but for some science magazine. And her boss, she's been sleeping with him, but she broke up with him recently. She meets Seth Brundle at a party thrown by Bartok. And he convinces her to come back to his lab. He shows her the telepod. At first, she doesn't believe him. Then he convinces her, wow, yes, he actually is working on teleportation. She flirts with him. They screw around, whatever. And then the next day, she tells her boss, and her boss doesn't believe her and says that she's been tricked. So she goes back. He proves it to her. They fall in lust, whatever. They start having a relationship. And then the boss figures out that she is seeing him and he gets jealous. Not only that, but he starts digging around. And as it turns out, he thinks, wow, the guy may actually be onto something with this teleportation thing. Now, Seth gets jealous because it looks like she's going back to her old boyfriend. She tells him that she's got some baggage to clean up. So she disappears. And while he's waiting, he gets impatient. And he's like, you know what? I think we're ready for the human trials. He puts the baboon through. The baboon survives. He's like, you seem fine. I'm going to go ahead and go through with it. So he gets in the tele, he teleports from one pod to the other and he comes out and he's naked and there's all this fog. And while he's teleporting a fly, just a common house fly gets into the pod with him. Now we see this, but he doesn't see this, And we don't know the full implications of this yet, but what starts to happen is that he starts to get sores on his body. He starts to act very similarly to a fly. That is, a fly is constantly moving around. And if they do sit, it's just because they're eating um, or laying maggot. But in this case, it manifests itself as just constant hyper energy. Like, he's manic. He's super manic. He takes his girlfriend to a coffee shop and he just keeps rambling and rambling about the plasma pool and how he's feels so much better since he went through the telepod and this must be just the next stage in human evolution i mean he's about as manic as i've ever been and he's pounding on the table and he's you know just aggressive in his speech and very super confident and assertive and then he tells her hey I want you to go through, I want you to go through the telepod so that you can be like me so that you can move on to the next phase of human evolution. And she's like, no, babe, something's wrong. So they go home, they have hours of sex. She's like, how do you have any fluids left in you? We've been having sex for hours and hours and hours. And then in the middle of the night, after she falls asleep, he wakes up and he starts doing just incredible gymnastics Now, he's always been a nerd. He's never been into physical fitness. He's never been a jock. And now all of a sudden, now that he's gone through this telepod, he's super strong. She wakes up in the middle of the night and sees him doing these things like swinging himself upside down and just crazy shit that he should not be able to do physically. And she's like super impressed and they have sex again. And then she feels something on his back. They're coarse hairs and he's starting to look a little rough. He looks like he might be getting his face a little bit. Places on his body are getting splotches. It's a little strange. And then she finds these hairs on his back and clips them off. Tries to put alcohol on it. Now, what happens if you put alcohol on an insect? Well, it, it freaks out because it hurts. Alcohol, for whatever reason, hurts insects. Apparently, they don't have the same kind of skin we do. And alcohol starts burning them right away. Whereas us, we only burn if it gets on to a super sensitive part or, you know, under our skin. So anyway, yeah, I don't know the full science of alcohol and blood. I just know that if I have a cut and I put alcohol on it, it fucking stings. Okay. long story short. She goes and has the hairs analyzed, and they turn out to be unidentifiable from a new species, most likely insect. She goes back and tells him this. In the meantime, he's starting to have strange things happen to his body, like his fingernails fall out. He actually cheats on her. Uh, Well, they're not really officially together, so it's not really cheating. But he goes out late one night and picks up a bar slut by defeating this guy who's much larger than him, Marky in an arm wrestling contest and he breaks the guy's arm gives him a compound fracture and so he takes her home gets out of the telepod and she says no she doesn't want to go through the telepod she recognizes that something's off about seth as well so he's like well fuck you if you don't want to go through be part of the plasma pool if you don't want to be part of the next phase of human evolution then fuck you go away And then his girlfriend comes back and she tells him about the hairs and she is shocked that he looks bad and he smells bad and he won't listen to her and he tells her to fuck off and she does and then his body parts start falling off. He loses his fingernails, loses teeth, loses hair. He makes a video of himself throwing up onto his food, which is now the only way that he can eat because his teeth aren't functioning anymore. He is becoming a human fly hybrid. He goes back and finds out what happened from the telepod history. The telepod tells him that it put him and the fly together since it didn't know what to do with there being two different genetic markers, genetic signatures, genetic codes in the telepod when it teleported. So it fused them together into a fusion of Brundle and house So he now calls himself Brundlefly, fly. And in the, disgusting scene with the donuts. He takes a package of donuts and says, kids, this is how Brundlefly eats. And he vomit, playfully called vomit drop. And he vomits on the donuts and sucks it up. Now you don't get to see him suck it back up. That would have been a really disgusting scene, but you do get to see him puke on the donuts and you get to hear the sounds of him sucking it up as his girlfriend shows the video to her boss, who is now just completely terrified and doesn't know what to do and wants her to leave him, but she won't leave him. She goes back and she says, babe, you've got to get help. You've got to get some kind of help. We can save you. He knows that he's starting to lose it. He knows that he's disgusting. He knows that he is freaking her out. And so he tells her, babe, this isn't going to work. You need to leave. I will hurt you if you stay. Now, I don't think he meant that he would hurt her physically. I think he meant that he would hurt her over time by her seeing what he was becoming. And he didn't think she could handle it. And he was right. She She runs away screaming, crying. She goes back to her boss. She's like, he's he's done. I mean, he's, he's not himself anymore. He's too far gone, whatever. Her boss, you know, he's an opportunist, but he's also a halfway decent human being. He takes her in. He's trying to protect her. Then she finds out she's pregnant. And then Brundlefly finds out she's pregnant. So he gets the idea that if he can put the three of them, that is himself... Ronnie, Ronnie's the name of the girlfriend and Ronnie's unborn baby into the telepod that there will be more human DNA than fly DNA. And they can all be merged together into a superhuman being with very slight fly characteristics, basically a superhuman. And so he gets that idea because he loves her and he wants to be with her and the baby. And he honestly thinks that that's the best course of action for him to take. So he goes and kidnaps her. And when he kidnaps her, he doesn't hurt her physically. He picks her up. He takes her to his lab. He tells her his plan. Of course, she freaks out. He grabs her by the hand, throws her into the telepod. So for the very first time during the entire film, we see that he has hurt her slightly. He throws her into the telepod. She lands a little bit roughly, and then he closes the telepod. Now, was he trying to hurt her physically? I don't think so. I think he just knew in his new fly-like state that he had very limited mobility. His body was literally falling off of his frame. So you see his face melts off and his skin splits and he looks like a human fly, but more like fly than human now. And so she's utterly terrified. I mean, of course she is. Meanwhile, the boss, the former boyfriend, decides he's going to rescue Ronnie and he comes with a shotgun and he shows up and... The fly, fly, gets him with the vomit. He vomits on his hand, and then he vomits on his foot. And then he's about to vomit on his head, and that's when Ronnie says, fine, I'll do it. So that's when all the shit goes down where he throws her in the telepod. At the very end of the film, spoilers, kids, his plan gets thwarted. The guy who had his hand and foot vomited on actually figures out how to get the gun to work blows up the telepod before it has a chance to work properly and so what ends up happening is that ronnie is rescued and Brundlefly fly fuses with the telepod now basically that's just fusing the elements of whatever made up the telepod with the elements of whatever made up Brundlefly, so it comes out as this bizarre machine looking cyborg thing and the guy walks over to him and Ronnie's there, and he's like trying to say, kill me, and he can't even talk. So he just takes his little fly hand, Brundle fly hand, and takes the end of the gun and points it to his head. And Ronnie's like, no, no, I don't want to kill you. And he's like, he wants to die. So he does it again, he points the shotgun and the barrel to his head. And then they pull the trigger, and he dies. And that's the end of David Cronenberg's 1986 version of The Fly. Now let's talk about The Scared Shit List. You will be scared shitless. If this is your first time joining us, The Scared Shit List is a time on the show where we talk about the shit that scared us. It's a list. And I'm going to give you a short list of the things that scared me about The Fly. The main thing that scared me about The Fly was the gore. There's no getting around the fact that David Cronenberg is a master of body horror. He is a master of psychological horror. He is a master of gore. He's a master of jump scares. He's a master of horror. He's a master of terror. Every single level of fear, he hits on all cylinders in this movie. There are other movies where he does the same thing. There are other movies of his where he just hits on one or two. But he is a master filmmaker and a master horror filmmaker, without a doubt. If they gave out Oscars just for best horror movie, which they should, by the way, Why haven't they? Why don't they just give out a best horror movie Oscar? Why is that? Leave your thoughts on that in the comments, please. But long story short, what scared me the most was the gore, you know, when he's turning into Brundle Fly at the end and he starts falling apart and his face turns into the fly looking thing. Oh, my God, that was so terrifying. And then the other thing is the fact that I very much identify with Seth Brundle. Seth Brunel just wanted to do something good for the sake of humanity. He wanted to get rid of car sickness, air sickness, sea sickness. He wanted to invent teleportation, not to make money. He didn't care about money. He had all the same suit in his closet, just like Einstein, so he wouldn't have to think about the small stuff. He was just a good guy, and he wanted to be good, and he wanted to help people. And I identified with him so deeply on that level, especially the Einstein thing. I thought, yeah, man, wouldn't it be awesome if I just didn't have to think about what to wear? Well, so I'm and I'm not a genius. I'm just, you know, you could say, Well, you're just lazy. No, it's not that. It's that my brain doesn't work the same way as a lot of people. And it takes more energy than I would like to expend for me to pick out an outfit. So I just don't. But if I already had one picked out for me, I wouldn't have to waste that mental energy. Okay. So please don't judge me for the way I pick my clothes and don't judge Einstein and don't judge Seth Brundle, played by Jeff Goldblum. The other thing that scared me about Identifying so closely with Goblin's character is the mania. Now, he's already manic before he becomes Brundlefly, but after he becomes Brundlefly, he's super manic. Like, do you want some coffee with your sugar? He's putting tons of sugar in his coffee. He's talking 100 miles an hour. He's talking about jumping into the plasma pool, you know, and this is the next stage of human evolution and all the crazy shit that he's saying, which really isn't crazy. It's just beyond the person that he's talking to. So he is stopped reading the room, he stopped giving a shit about the room, and the room is filled with people who don't care about what he's talking about, and he's talking about some important shit, but that's not the right environment to be doing it in, and I identify with that on such a deep fundamental level. Nobody cares about the shit I care about. I care about weird movies, I care about documentaries, I care about YouTube videos that nobody likes or a very small portion of the population likes. I care about autistic kids deeply. And a lot of people say they care about autistic kids, but then you ask them to hang out with an autistic kid and they'll show you very quickly how little they care about autistic kids. And listen, it's because they don't know what they don't know. It's not because they aren't compassionate. So they think they care, but the truth is that they only really care about the idea of autistic kids. Caring for autistic kids themselves, caring about an actual individual who is autistic is not the same thing as caring about the plight of autism, okay? I wanna make that super duper clear. If you are autistic, people don't care about you, they care about your disease. The only people who care about you as a person are those who get to know you as a person, okay? Now, they might care about your family, they might care about your situation, but the only people who care about you specifically are the people who take the time to get to know you. Okay, and if you are autistic and you watch this show, I want to know you. I want you to reach out to me. Tell me where you're at on the spectrum. Tell me how your life's been going. Tell me what you thought of The Fly. Did you like the movie The Fly? Have you seen the original 1958 version? I watched that with my 16 year old or 17 at the time and we loved it. It was so good. Vincent Price was in it. It was another tragedy, you know, the poor doctor's just trying to help people, and he ends up going insane, and his poor wife, you know, and they do, they kill him at the end. Um, Spoilers, kids, they kill the fly in every version of the fly, except for the fly 2, which we'll talk about next time. This is your host, S. Michael. Thank you, as always, and remember, kids, stay shitless.